And welcome to The Word Encounter, episode 227, where we'll pick things up in chapter 24 of the book of Acts. At the end of chapter 23, if we recall, the commander is sending Paul uh, from Jerusalem to Caesarea uh, to the governor Felix um, because the commander can find nothing wrong with what Paul has done, and he's not going to do what the Jews want him to do. So he writes a letter to Felix explaining the situation and sends Paul to um, Caesarea. And so then we find here that uh, Felix essentially is telling Paul that he's going to wait for his accusers to arrive and then we'll get this matter rolling. So it says the accusation against Paul, uh, chapter 24, verse 1. It says, five days later, Ananias, the high priest, came down with some elders and a lawyer named Tertullus. These men presented their case against Paul to the governor. So we find that Ananias and uh, the lawyer came in order to accuse Paul so that hopefully Felix would do what they want and kill him. <laughs> That's essentially what they want. And it says in verse two, when Paul was called in, Tertullus began to accuse him and said, we enjoy great peace because of you and reforms are taking place for the benefit of this nation because of your foresight. He's talking to Felix. He says, we acknowledge this in every way and everywhere, most excellent Felix, with utmost gratitude. So he's buttering up Felix. He's saying, you have such wisdom and knowledge and foresight, and we have all benefited by that. And, uh, and so we're, com- we're coming before you in order to take up this case that we have here against this wretched Paul. <laughs> in verse 5, it says, we have found this man to be a plague, an agitator among all the Jews um, throughout the Roman world, and a ringleader of the sect called, or of the sect of the Nazarenes. <clears throat> And so uh, they're making their accusation before Felix. And so Paul is going to have his chance to offer his defense. In verse 10, he says, when the governor motioned for him to speak, Paul replied, because I know you have been a judge of this nation for many years, I'm glad to offer my defense in what concerns me. They didn't find me arguing with anyone or causing a disturbance among the crowd, either in the temple or in the synagogues or anywhere in the city. Neither can they say they proved the charges they are now making against me. But I admit to you this. I worship the God of my ancestors according to the way, according to Jesus, uh, which they call a sect, believing everything that is in accordance with the law and written in the prophets. I have a, I have a hope in God, which these men themselves also accept that there will be a resurrection, both of the righteous and the unrighteous. So what is Paul saying? Paul is saying, look, we share a same belief here. I'm not outside of that belief. We share a same belief in the resurrection, you know, of both the righteous and the unrighteous. You know, me and my accusers, we share the same belief. Verse 16, he says, I always strive to have a clear conscience towards God and men. After many years, I came to bring charitable gifts and offerings to my people. While I was doing this, some Jews from Asia found me ritually purified in the temple without a crowd and without any uproar. So Paul is giving an account. He was in Jerusalem, not raising a ruckus, not doing anything wrong. But some Jews from Asia came down and then they started accusing him. And they started raising the ruckus. In verse 19, it says, it is they who ought to be here before you to bring charges if they have anything against me. That Jews from Asia should be here accusing me, not these Jews from Jerusalem. I didn't do anything to them. This is, this is what Paul is essentially telling Felix. In verse 20, or let these men here state uh, what wrongdoing they found in me when I stood before the Sanhedrin, when I stood before the council. 
You know, tell, tell me, ask them to tell you what wrong did I do? Verse 21, he says, other than this one statement, I shouted while standing among them. Today I am on trial before you concerning the resurrection of the dead. And we know that that caused a ruckus when he did that before the Sanhedrin because you had the Pharisees who believed in the resurrection and the Sadducees who didn't. And so when Paul said that, they started fighting amongst each other. The verdict postponed. In verse 22, since Felix was well informed about the way. Now, why might that be the case? Well, Felix was the governor of the territory, Jerusalem, Caesarea, and that region. And so he knew uh, the word had gotten out about, first of all, Jesus when he was alive, and then with his disciples and apostles spreading the word. So he was familiar with this sect called the way. He adjourned, he adjourned uh, the hearing saying, um, when the commander comes down, I will decide your case. Several days later, when Felix came with his wife, uh, Drusilla, that's a name in it, Drusilla. <laughs> Several days later, when Felix came with his wife, Drusilla, who was Jewish, she sent for Paul and listened to him on the subject of faith in Christ Jesus. <clears throat> I wonder if, if, if uh, Felix and Drusilla had been talking and she became intrigued. You know, she was Jewish. Paul was, was, was preaching this new thing. So I'm curious if she was you know, intrigued and she wanted to hear for herself. In verse 25, now, as he spoke about the righteousness, self-control, and the judgment to come, Felix became afraid. Now, why might that be? I think condemnation was coming on Felix. Conviction was coming on Felix when Paul was preaching about righteousness and self-control and the judgment that was going to come and judge everybody against those standards. Felix became afraid and, and replied, leave for now. But when I have an opportunity, I'll call for you. So he told Paul, okay, I've heard enough. Get out of here. But the word says, at the same time, he, being Felix, was also hoping that Paul would offer him money. He was hoping that Paul would bribe him and so that uh, through the bribery, he would let Paul go. So he was still containing Paul, uh, uh, still restraining Paul in prison, but he was hoping that Paul would bribe him. So he sent, but it says he sent for him quite often and conversed with him. So it's a funny thing about truth. Even when it's a truth that, that's hard for you to hear, hard for you to digest, it, it has a certain allure to it. It's like, oh man, this is really tough. It's hard, but I, I want to hear more. Talk to me more. And so I can imagine that Felix was feeling convicted, but, but at the same time, he wanted to hear more. In verse 27. After two years had passed, so Paul had been in prison for two years, uh, Portius Festus succeeded Felix because Felix wanted to do the Jews a favor, so he left Paul in prison. So he never let Paul go, even though he was looking for a bribe. He never got the bribe, but he left Paul in prison, not because of anything Paul did, but to appease the Jews. Let's go on to chapter 25. It says, Appeal to Caesar. Three days after Festus, uh, Festus arrived, remember Festus replaced Felix, he went up to Jerusalem from Caesarea. The chief priests and the elders or the leaders of the Jews presented their case against Paul to him, and they appealed, asking for a favor against Paul. That Festus summoned him to Jerusalem. They were, in fact, preparing an ambush along the road to kill him. So they, Festus, okay, we got a new guy. Let's try to get him to send Paul from Caesarea to Jerusalem, and on the way, we'll ambush him and kill him. Festus, however, answered that Paul should be kept at Caesarea and that he himself was about to go there shortly. Therefore, he said, 
Let those of you who have authority go down uh, with me and accuse him if he has done anything wrong. So Festus is saying, look, I'm not bringing him down to Jerusalem, but I'm going there. And if you want to, you can send some people with me and you can accuse him there if he has done anything wrong. When he had spent not more than eight or ten days among them, he went down to Caesarea. The next day, uh, seated at the tribunal, he commanded Paul to be brought in. When he arrived, the Jews who had come down from Jerusalem stood around him and brought many serious charges that that they were not able to prove. And so Festus goes back to Caesarea. He says, okay, bring Paul in. And the Jews that were ordered to accuse him came with him. Paul comes in and they start accusing him all kind of nasty stuff, apparently, but they couldn't prove anything. Then Paul made his defense. Neither against the Jewish law, nor against the temple, nor against Caesar have I sinned in any way. See, so he's covering all all bases here against the law, against the temple and against the governing powers against Caesar. I haven't sinned. I have. I have done no, no wrong. Verse nine. But Festus, wanting to do the Jews a favor, replied to Paul. Uh, Are you willing to go up to Jerusalem to be tried before me there on these charges? Paul replied, I am standing at Caesar's tribunal where I ought to be tried. I have done no wrong to the Jews, as even you yourself know very well. So Paul is kind of calling Festus out. He says, you know, I haven't done anything wrong. Why should I have to go to Jerusalem to be tried in, in, a, in a kangaroo court? Because, you know, that's the situation that's going to be there. I'm here in you know, Caesar's tribunal, you know. This is why should I have to go anywhere else? Verse 11. If then I did anything wrong and am deserving of death, I am not trying to escape death. But if there is nothing to what these men accuse me of, no one can give me up to them. I appeal to Caesar. So Paul was a Roman soldier and he sees that, you know, that they're trying to, you know, shoehorn him into into a bogus trial. And so he's saying, I appeal to Caesar. You know, in other words, take me to Rome. I appeal to Caesar because this this isn't right here, you know. <clears throat> and so, then after Festus conferred uh, with his counsel, he replied, "You have appealed to Caesar. To Caesar you will go." Now this is interesting because this is God's plan. Because in Mark, you know, thirteen nine, and somewhere in Matthew, we see that Jesus says that you will be taken before councils and synagogues, before kings, you know, to testify on my behalf. You know, he says that, matter of fact, let's see, uh, let's see if we can find that right quick here. Let's see. Let's go to Mark. Wait, wait, what did I say? I said it was Mark chapter 13, verse 9, right. So let's go to Mark chapter 13, verse 9, and let's read what Jesus says. Let me drop you. Okay, it says, <clears throat> but you be on your guard. They will hand you over to local courts and you will be flogged in the synagogues. You will stand before governors and kings because of me as a witness to them. And it is necessary that the gospel be preached to all nations. And so Jesus is saying, you know, this is a fulfillment of what Jesus told him, uh, told as to what would happen. He says, you will be taken before, you know, governors and kings. And elsewhere, he says, don't worry about what to say because the Holy Spirit will fill you with what to say. So don't be concerned about that. So we see that all of this is playing out right here um, with Paul. And it says, King Agrippa Agrippa and Bernice visit Festus. 
Verse 13, several days later, King Agrippa and Bernice arrived in Caesarea and paid a courtesy call on Festus. Now, King Agrippa, he's the king, of, and so uh, uh, Festus is the governor, uh, but uh, the king is the king. So the king, they're all under Caesar. So Caesar is like appointing kings of different territories and whatnot. And so King Agrippa, I guess, supersedes uh, Festus in his, um, in his power and control. And Bernice is the king's sister. Okay, so we see here that they pay a courtesy call on Festus. In verse 14, it says, Since they were staying there several, day, several days, Festus presented Paul's case to the king, saying, There's a man who, ha- there's a man who has left, wait, there's a man who was left as a prisoner by Felix. And so, and then Festus goes on to explain the situation to the king. You know, everything that Paul has been through, the, the issue between him and the Jews, and he was in Jerusalem, now he's in Caesarea. So he explains all this to Festus, I mean to uh, King Agrippa. And then in verse 18, the accuser stood up and brought uh, no charge against him of the evils I was expecting. And so Fe- uh, Festus is saying that the accusers, the Jews were accusing Paul, but they weren't accusing him of anything I thought was deserving of what they wanted to happen to him. It says in verse 19, he says, instead, they had some disagreements with him about their own religion and about a certain Jesus, a dead man, Paul cl- claimed to be alive. <laughs> I like his description, a certain Jesus, a dead man, Paul claimed to be alive. Agrippa said to Festus, I would like to hear the man myself. Tomorrow you will hear him, Festus replied. So Agrippa wants to hear from Paul himself. And so Festus says, cool. He says, Paul before Agrippa in verse 23. So the next day, King Agrippa and Bernice came with great pomp and entered the auditorium with the military commanders and prominent men of the city. When Festus came, uh, when Festus gave the command, Paul was brought in. Then Festus said, King Agrippa and all men present with us, you see this man? The whole Jewish community has appealed to me concerning him, both in Jerusalem and here, shouting that he should not live any longer. I found that he had not done anything deserving of death. But when he appealed him, but when he, but when he himself appealed to the emperor, I decided to send him. I have nothing definite to write to my Lord about him. Therefore, and so what Festus is saying is I have nothing to write uh, to Caesar to tell him why I'm sending him Paul. He says, I I don't know what to write (laughs) because I find nothing wrong with him. So I don't know what to put in the letter when I send uh, Paul to Rome. He says, I have nothing definite to write to my Lord about him. Therefore, I have brought him before all of you and especially before you, King Agrippa, so that after this examination is over, I may have something to write. And so Festus is saying, look, after I I, uh, bring him before you, then maybe you can tell me what I can put in this letter when when I send Paul to Rome, because I don't know. Then it says, for it seems unreasonable to me to send a prisoner without indicating the charges against him. Let's go on to chapter 26. And it says Paul's defense before Agrippa. Agrippa said to Paul, you have permission to speak for yourself. Then Paul stretched out his hand and began his defense. Verse 2. I consider myself fortunate that it is before you, King Agrippa, I am to make my defense today against the accusation of the Jews, especially since you are very knowledgeable about all the Jewish customs and uh, controversies. Therefore, I beg you to listen to me patiently. Let's drop down to verse 6. He says, 
I now stand on trial because of uh, because of the hope in what God promised to our ancestors. The promise, uh, the promise our 12 tribes hope to reach as they earnestly serve him night and day. So Paul is saying, look, I'm on trial because I believe in the hope that God promised to our people. The promise of the 12 tribes to reach uh, as they earnestly serve him night and day. So he said, I'm here because I believe that the 12 tribes are to reach the hope that God has defined for us as we serve him night and day. He says, King Agrippa, I am being accused by the Jews because of this hope. Why do any of you consider it incredible that God raises the dead? And so Paul is, is getting to part of the heart of the issue. He's saying, look, I'm here because I actually believe everything the Old Testament prophets prophesied. I believe in the law that Moses uh, uh, laid down. These things that, that are occurring today are a, fulfill, are a fulfillment of those things. See, this isn't being made up pie out of the sky. Pie out of the sky. These are things that they talked about and they're happening today. So why are you surprised that God raises people from the dead? Then it says nine. In fact, I myself was convinced that it was necessary to do many things in opposition to the name of Jesus of Nazareth. And so... He, um, Paul goes on and he starts detailing to Agrippa how he persecuted, he himself persecuted the Christians because of what he was thinking. He was in agreement with those that are accusing him now. He was in lockstep agreement with them. And so he was going about the business, being faithful uh, to God as he saw it at that time. And so he's telling Agrippa all of the things that he did to the Christians uh, in the pursuit of, um, of, of, of silencing them because of what he thought. Then it says Paul's account of his conversion and, and uh, commission. And we see in verse 12, Paul then details to Agrippa his encounter with the Lord on the Damascus Road. So he details what the Lord did, how he sent a flash of light and blinded him and gave him an assignment. <clears throat> and so let's drop down here to verse 19. It says, so then, King Agrippa, I was not disobedient to the heavenly vision. Instead, I preached to those in Damascus uh, first and to those in Jerusalem and in all the region of Judea and to the Gentiles that they should repent and turn to God and do works worthy of repentance. For this reason, the Jews seized me in the temple and were trying to kill me. Mm. It says, Agrippa, not quite persuaded. Not quite persuaded about what? Verse 24, as he was saying these things uh, in his defense, Festus exclaimed in a loud voice, you're out of your mind, Paul. <laughs> Too much study is dri has driven you mad. <laughs> It's, it's funny that he says too much study has has driven you mad. And so he's the uh, uh, Festus is kind of acknowledging that Paul was very studious in his approach to the word, that he was, in fact, very serious about the things of God. He maybe he didn't recognize that's what he was saying, but that's essentially what he was saying in verse 25. But Paul replied, I am not out of my mind. Most excellent. Fest, most ex bleh, I am not out of my mind. Most excellent Festus. On the contrary, I'm speaking words of truth and good judgment. For the king knows about these matters, and I can speak boldly to him. For I am convinced that none of these things has escaped his notice since this was not done in a corner. Paul was saying none of this stuff is done in, in, in secret. 
in darkness. It's all out in public in the light. King Agrippa, do you believe the prophets? I know you believe. So Paul is kind of putting the king on, on notice. He's kind of put, putting the king on the spot. He's saying, uh, King Agrippa, and remember, the Jews are there. Do you believe the prophets? See, Paul is kind of, t- Paul is so savvy and so, and so smooth. He, he's turning the situation. King Agrippa, do you believe the prophets? Do you believe what they wrote? Because if you believe what they wrote, then you have to believe in this man called Jesus because all he's doing is fulfilling what they wrote. See? And then he follows it up with, you know, King Agrippa, do you believe the prophets? I know you believe. I know you believe, dog. I know you do. (laughs) In verse 28, King Agrippa said to Paul, are you going to persuade me to become a Christian so easily? And then Paul replies, I wish before God that uh, whether easily or with difficulty, not only you, but all who listen to me today, today and into the future might become as I am, except for these chains. The king, the governor, Bernice, and those sitting with them got up. And when they had left, they talked with each other and said, this man is not doing anything uh, to deserve death or imprisonment. So every time Paul becomes, uh, comes before government authorities, they all come to the same conclusion. He's done nothing wrong. <laughs> the Jews are just throwing out accusations you know, that are hollow and weak. He's done nothing wrong. In verse 32, it says, Agrippa said to Festus, this man could have been released if he had not appealed to Caesar. But remember, in appealing to Caesar, he was actually fulfilling what Jesus told the disciples would happen, that they would go before kings. See? And so this has to happen so Paul can go to Rome. You know, the seat of power, the capital of the Roman Empire. You know? And with that, we will conclude the book of Acts tomorrow, chapters 27 and 28. As is the case, as is always the case, during the light of the day, in the middle of the night, early in the morning, late in the afternoon, the appeal is always going out. The proposition is always being made. That still small voice is always being heard in one's hand, head with regard to Jesus making his invitation and proposition. If you confess with your mouth and if you believe in your heart that Jesus is Lord, the word says that you shall be saved. Let me read Romans chapter 10, verse 9 through 13 right now. It says, if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For one believes with the heart, resulting in righteousness, and one confesses with the mouth, resulting in salvation. For the scripture says, everyone who believes on him will not be put to shame, since there is no distinction between Jew and Greek, because the same Lord of all richly richly blesses all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of Jesus will be saved. Period. Everyone, Jew or Greek, male or female, black or white, Indian, Asia, Martian, it doesn't matter. It does not matter. Old, young, it doesn't matter. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord Jesus will be saved. That's all-inclusive. 
for it is his desire that none be lost. That's his desire. We know that that's not going to be the case, but his desire is that none be lost. It's not going to be the case because man's will plays a significant role in this. God does not force us to choose him. He gives us the choice of free will. And with that free will, he's asking us and he's stating a case for us to choose him. The ultimate decision is with us. If we choose him, if we confess with our mouth, believe in our heart and choose to believe on the Lord Jesus, it says that we will be saved. If we don't, then there's hell and damnation. It's a very binary proposition. It's one or the other. There's no on the fence in this. And with that, we will con- uh, conclude for the day and pick things up tomorrow. Everybody, please stay safe. Be blessed. Keep your eyes fixed on Jesus. And should God grace us with another day of life, we'll see you tomorrow for the next episode of The Word Encounter. Bye-bye.